Marini's Media. Totally Football Show Summer Special today. Side with Vinagri leaves with bitter taste in the mouth as Acampos finds the silver bullet to finish Wolves' endless season. Meanwhile, as Donetsk goes through to the semis too, we hear from Sasha on Shakhtar, hmm, a Russian occupied with Ukrainians. It's kind of the opposite of what normally happens, etc. All that, plus we'll be having a big look forward to Wednesday night's Champions League quarter-final, Atalanta PSG at the Estadio de Luz. But who will? It's all in this Totally Football Show summer special in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. It's a Wednesday morning, 12th of August for you, you clever thing. We're still on Tuesday night. Aren't we, James Horncastle? We are indeed, James. Mm, nice to have you on board, though. And uh, same to you, Mr. Julien Laurence, uh, all the way from Paris. Bonsoir. Paris indeed. All right. You sound like you're in Paris. That's great. You sound like one of those, you know, 1970s, you know, uh, Fairs Cup kind of commentators. Yeah. That's good. Bring a bit of nostalgia to the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, great. Jules, by the way, you're not wearing a shirt. Listener, can you picture it's it? It's really hot in Paris. It's not going to be hotter than it is in London. It's so hot. Anyway, we're not here to discuss the weather unless it's the severe weather warning that's coming out of Duisburg after their performance against Wolves this evening. They're through to the semi-finals of the Europa League against Man United. Uh, Meanwhile, Shakhtar are through as well from Tuesday's games and they'll be taking on Inter. We're going to begin, though, with Sevilla's 1-0 win over Wolves. Uh, A cagey affair didn't turn out to be quite the firecracker we were expecting, huh, Mr. Horncastle? No, James, uh, although I wasn't really clear about what I should be expecting from this. And to be honest, having uh, sat through the conditions myself, uh, the, the, the prospect of playing football in them uh, didn't enthuse me uh, all that much. Um, but I felt Sevilla dominated uh, this game, albeit without creating too many uh, clear-cut chances. I mean... You look at the, the numbers that they put up. What was it? 75% possession, 14 corners to nothing, 18 shots as well. Uh, I think the last shot that uh, Wolves had on target was uh, Raul Jimenez's uh, penalty kick. And yes, it ultimately was uh, decided in what the final five minutes or so. But I think, to be honest, Sevilla deserving winners. And they just felt that uh, Wolves, after beginning their season in uh, in uh, 83 BC um, and and playing 700 games to get this far, were a little bit too too tired. Mm. As you say, the heat a factor, perhaps. If the players have been allowed to take uh, their shirts off like Jules and play in skins, mm. in rather than drinks breaks, perhaps UEFA should make that a condition for hot weather. Uh, I think yeah, everyone would emoji. That. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, from Wolves' point of view, a, a disappointing evening in so many ways. Only the one real Triori run. I think a lot of us felt that he might be a decisive factor in this game. But it might have been enough, that run, uh, because he did earn them uh, the penalty, which uh, Jimenez to society uh, then failed to convert. There was a lot of controversy on British TV about the dastardly uh, severe keeper getting an inch off his line and people encroaching and stuff. But as you say, James, no shots on target after that. And uh, Sevilla very much the team in, in control. Worthy winners, would you say, Jules? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think the, the game plan probably for Wolves was always going to be that. Try to play quite deep and then hit them on the counter-attack. As soon as 
Uh, so Nuno putting the 3-5-2 the, the formation instead of the 3-4-3 the three, three, that is a bit more attacking with when Diego Jota plays or you know, Potencia or whoever is, is the other forward. But the 3-5-2 the is very defensive and very um, with a lot of players in midfield when they don't come in. And and it, it could have worked out, I guess, if Jimenez had scored a penalty and if they kept defending well. But but I think Sevilla were good. I mean, Eva Banega, I know he's 32 years of age and he's going to go and play in, in Saudi Arabia or, or wherever he's going to, to cash in. But what a player. I mean, at that level, in a game like this, and to have so much control and dictate so much the, the tempo of the game and, and the, the pace of it is just wonderful. And Lucas Acampos, who we, we've mentioned before on the show, but who was a good player in France for Marseille, but nothing, nowhere near the kind of season that and the kind of numbers that he's putting in with Sevilla this year. And again, he, you know, he he got the winner and he was so decisive for them, even if he didn't have a, a great game overall. But he's there in a key moment and I think that's very valuable for a team like Sevilla. Mm. Well done to Wolves as well. A phenomenal journey, TM, that they've been on, and not just over these 13 months, but still, uh, since the... Uh, the club changed its whole structure and Nuno came in and all that. I think a lot of questions now about what tonight's result might mean for the future at Wolves. No European football, of course, next season. Might that mean changes for the manager and for one or two key players as well, like <coughs> Jimenez? Ah, interesting, James. Uh, I think uh, Wolves will be hoping that that isn't the case for the obvious reasons, but also I think... Uh, with seasons uh, due back, certainly pre-seasons due back in only a couple of weeks, I think um, you know, it's not an ideal situation, A, for you to lose a manager, but B, for a new manager like Nuno, say if he wants to go elsewhere, try his hand at a, a, a quote-unquote bigger club, then he's not going to have a lot of time to A, talk to the board and say, I need these players, go get me them. Um, also, I mean, he is in a pretty ideal situation because of the synergy that there is between his agent and and, uh, and Fosun at uh at Wolves, he's not going to find that elsewhere unless he goes to uh, uh, an, another uh, another club in that kind of mould. So curious, I think Jimenez as well. I mean, uh, you, you look at the kind of the fee that's been sort of touted for him as what between forty fifty million. Um, again, I think you've got to look at it in the context of a depressed market where you have clubs that would ordinarily not think twice about uh, paying that for someone of his quality with the uncertainty that there is around you know where crowds will be coming back and teams will be getting match day revenue and also you know the, there's still the prospect of a disruption from a, a second wave we'll, we'll have, have to see, to see. We'll all right see. obviously there's a lot of time between now and there October, is James. and one of the things will be happening in that time is the semi-final with man united Ooh, two seasons ago these two teams met in the group stage was it the group stage or was it actually the quarterfinals? No, it was the quarterfinals, I think. No, last 16. Last 16. Last 16 yeah, last football heritage. Five. So last 16, then the 2017-18 Champions League. It was nil-nil in Seville. And then the Spaniards then, uh, they got a 2-1 win at Old Trafford. That was in the dark days of Jose Mourinho, of course. Who's your favourite for this semi, Jules, and why? I mean, clearly this is, a, this is easily a Champions League quarterfinal kind of game, uh, to be fair. And I think... Sevilla played the way that United loved their opponent to play, so I would go for a United win. All right, one. all right. What do you mean by that, uh, uh, Jules? I think that United will be very happy to let Eva Banega and Joan Jordan and all the other very technical Sevilla players have a lot of the ball and then hit them on the counter. And, you know, I think I think the Sevilla back four is great. And I think Jules Koundé 
Tonight, the Frenchman had a, an incredible game. So did Diego Carlos. Paris born and bred. No, it's a shame. <laughs> I only say if he is. So if it's a French player who is not from here, I, I don't even mention where he's from. Okay, sit back and soak it up and hit them on the break. It worked well enough for... Oh, no, hang on. What do you think, James? <laughs> Against yeah. United? Well, look, I, I think uh, the football heritage that uh, Jose Mourinho uh, brought up um, explanation and mitigation for that that uh, knockout a couple of years ago it still holds because I mean that was in a competition that that uh, Sevilla don't have football heritage in whereas this one oh, they sure do and uh, it doesn't matter how much they change I think nine of the players who started tonight weren't in the team last year weren't at the club it's Monchi all over again and you know you look at the run that they're on what is it 19 games unbeaten that is a that's a club record so it's a team that isn't used to losing. It's gone into this tournament uh, in in great in great condition, great confidence. And yeah, I think as as, as Jules was saying, you look at uh, the performances of, of, of the likes of Benega tonight, um, who again, you know, sort of just been back in Spain, back with Sevilla after that what that spell with Inter, just looks a different player. It looks looks like he's in his own environment, um, and it's the right place for him. So. It's, it's, it's going to be a tricky game for United, um, even though I think on paper United have have more talent. Well, that clash coming up on Sunday. Meanwhile, also from Tuesday's action, dust off your Basel faulty headlines because Shakhtar went roaring past the Swiss side 4-1 to book their place in the semi-finals. After this, we'll hear from Oko Sports' Sasha Gurionov. Everyone remembers that time you've had that peach of an accumulator looking good only for... Oh, and the keeper's let it slip through his legs in the 94th minute. Or the right back has to pull on the gloves and face a penalty. Or Man United have again conceded a late equaliser. But with Paddy Power's Acker Cracker, you get a free bet if one leg of your fourfold plus Acker lets you down on all football matches and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Minimum odds of 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Becampbellware.org. This is the Totally Summer Special by The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. Hey, listener, join me in welcoming Oko Sports' Sasha Gurionov to today's Totally Football Show Summer Special. Hey, Sasha. Hello, James. Great evening. Well, yeah, a great evening for people who enjoy Shakhtar Donetsk because you so so very clearly do. There they were, dark horsing away as usual, battering Basel 4-1. Uh, were they even better than you were expecting them to be in this game? Yeah, I think so. I think they were better than anyone in Ukraine was expecting them to be. I think it's the way that Basel were just, just offered absolutely nothing in the first half and the way that um, the Brazilian front five played uh, for Shakhtar today, they were absolutely irresistible. I mean, I think if you look at the way the game started as well, they win the ball in the first minute. They don't lose it until getting a corner, and then Junior Moraes arrives to nod it in. Keeper is nowhere. Uh, I think it's actually very odd from Basel's point of view. They're actually selling their first choice goalkeeper to Montpellier, um, uh, Jonas Omlin, for about five million euros. So they have this backup called Georgi Nikolic, who was just absolutely all at sea today. And I think once Shakhtar go one nil up early doors. It's their game, and there are spells where their attacks are just irresistible. 
Marlos, um, he's like naturalized Ukrainian, but he was always picking the right past the silver fox. Um, and it's just, they were just the first 45 minutes. I, I, th- I think it's probably the most impressive half of football I've seen actually from anybody. Um, because they they attacked with such verve, they picked the uh, you know the moments to counter. They made hardly any mistakes. They hardly misplaced the pass. They could have been four five nil up. Um, yeah, they were they were amazing. Uh, Sasha, you were just making bold comments before we uh, we kind of came <laughs> on air about how the, it's lucky PSG aren't in the Europa League because they get mashed up a treat by the uh, the boys from Ukraine. Well, that's I think it's lucky for everyone else. But I think if you also look at that group stage. They're also they're very generally very gritty. I mean that three 0 defeat at home against Atalanta is sort of an, a bit of an unusual result because they kept on coming back against Dinamo Zagreb. They're always there in the game. They're very good combination of maturity and I think they have a few players over thirties, including Junior Moraes, the you know the, the main goal getter. But there are several young players, and I think probably the best of them is Marcos Antonio in midfield, who's only twenty. He just signed a new five year contract. He's like the next, I think, generations of Brazilians coming through him and Dodo at right back. And just I think everything they did was so mature, so grown up. I think Basel could have sat in, in the four five one, yet they managed to cut get behind the three man midfield, which is I think something that uh, Inter should watch out, watch out for because they dragged them out and then just hit them into the space. Marcos Antonio moved forward really, really well, set up what should have been a goal for Junior Moraes. They pressed when need be, and also they, they were very smart in the way they saw out the second half. They didn't really do anything for half an hour. <laughs> then Basel made a treble substitution. Within fifteen seconds, they conceded the penalty because Shakhtar were just on top of them, and then after that, I mean they. They were just sort of seeing the game out uh, and they could have won by more. And I think, you know, if you look at the way uh, interplay and certainly the way Dodo attacks up, up the wing, I think there could be gaps that he could potentially get behind Ashley Young. Interesting. To be fair, this is a kind of different level of opponent next up for Shakhtar. They, they're not mm. faced very good sides yet in this competition. Uh, Benfica, who are having a kind of meltdown season, and Wolfsburg, who've been all over the shop, and then this Basel side... Do you think maybe you're slightly overestimating their potential? I think I think the way I mean, given the state of this season, uh, their their ability to run until very late into the games is really very impressive. Yes, maybe they haven't come un- come under that much pressure, but the way they've taken advantage of any space that is available, for example, against Wolfsburg, where again I know they scored three goals in like last three minutes, but they could have scored about six before that. I mean, Wolfsburg keeper had an absolute stormer. I think they're very they're very just they're very smart, very gnarly, uh, very streetwise, and I think again you must not forget this is a club that's been homeless since 2014. They kept the structures. Uh, they were a very professionally run side. They still, I mean, for example, they kept the youth system miraculously, which is which currently exists in Kiev. Again, they've just moved from Kharkov to Kiev, where they will coexist with Dynamo Kiev. But the, the fact that they've remained a viable proposition when quite a number of other clubs in Ukraine went up the wall from the region in the east because, I mean, there was no way they could survive is really, really impressive. So if they do manage to actually win this tournament, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be quite, quite, quite a triumph because I don't think any other club in European football has really faced such adversity over a sustained period. No, I think that you're absolutely right when you say that. What do you think then in football terms about their prospects against Inter James? I think Inter were very impressive um, last night. Uh, I think having seen Schechter in the group stages, I must admit that's a long time ago now and Sasha will know more than me, but certainly on Italian TV tonight there was a feeling that the way Schechter play would play into Inter's hands in that, uh, yeah, this is a team that likes to have the ball, likes to play in their opponent's half and 
Conte likes nothing more than playing through opponents, not hitting them on the counter. Don't say counter-attacking to him because he thinks it's a dirty word, but um, sort of inviting teams onto them and then playing through them, which yeah does carry a little bit of risk, but they feel that there'll be the space in behind for to release a Lautaro, to release a Lukaku. And Lukaku in the form at him, he's in at the minute, uh, I think there are very few defences, very few centre-backs in the world that would relish playing him in these conditions. I would tend to agree with this because um, I think if, if there is any a weakness in this team, anyway, it's probably at centre-back. I mean, they had a 21-year-old play, playing today because uh, the first choice, um, the other first choice centre-back, Hochelab, got sent off against Wolfsburg. But also, I, I really don't rate the goalkeeper, uh, Andrei Petov. Uh, he's 36, he's been there since forever. I think there is a reason why he hasn't moved to another club and I think he has mistakes in him. Um, so any sort of sustained pressure, particularly with... Uh, I mean, I, I, I saw what um, Lukaku did against um, Leverkusen and that potentially could be a huge, a big, actually a big problem for Shakhtar. All right. Well, semi-finals coming up on Monday. So we've got ample time between now and then to formulate more thoughts about that game. Sasha, though, while we have you on... Last few days have seen a rash of other very interesting stories from the East. So perhaps we could get you to run us through those in Sasha's Russian Corner. Nice to hear those notes again. Hey, Sasha, let's start with serial winner Dejan Lovren, who's at Zenit St. Petersburg, you know, and he's already won his first trophy there, uh, hasn't he? Yeah, one game, one cup, and he, uh, yes, the the Super Cup was his first match. Um, And I think what we've seen Lovren really stand out with is he's aggressive, he's positive coming out of defence. He's actually faster than most of the defenders as well. Um, And he really stands out in the Russian league. And he doesn't really have to have Van Dijk next to him holding his hand. He has Yaroslav uh, Rakitsky, who is a Ukrainian centre-back next to him. But so far, they, looked, they both looked pretty imperious. Having said that, in the, uh, in the Super Cup, he did let um, one of the locomotive players go in behind him for the locomotive goal. So, you know, it's not all plain sailing, but he has definitely stood out. Today, they kept a clean sheet in Volgograd. Okay, team has got promoted. Uh, but so far, he's looking relatively comfortable. Did they drop the Super Cup, Sasha? No, no, they didn't. They, they managed Ooh. to hold this one together. Um, what what they, happened they, they to... So, so previously, Ivanovic, mm-hmm. who, what, Lovren's replacing, um, was lofting the Russian Cup, which is made of exquisite crystal, and yep. dropped it. What, what happened to it? Did it smash? Uh, yeah, so the lid smashed, the, the lid at the very, very top. And there is actually a video where you can actually hear it breaking, which is, uh, which is obviously <laughs> quite a sound. Uh, from what I understand, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, obviously they'll be repairing it. Why is it made of crystal? The old Soviet cup was made of crystal back in the, back in the 30s. So I think this, okay, it's a different design, but I think this sort of went with a similar thing um, when they designed the Russian cup uh, about 30 right. years ago. Nice. Okay, tell us about the penalty that was awarded in the game between Spartak and Sochi. At the weekend, just to give a little bit of background here, listener, Spartak had gone 2-0 up in this one. The, the second goal from Jordan Larson, son of the former Celtic and Barcelona star, Henrik. Soshi, though, start to claw their way back for a penalty in the first half. And then, in the 90th minute, they get another penalty. Very controversially. Here's a little bit of reaction to that. Oh my good. Oh my god. And another penalty. Come on. Okay. 
Another penalty for Sochi. Oh my goodness. Now both penalties against Spartak were awarded with the referee uh, consulting the VAR. Spartak's reaction to seeing two points dropped at the last minute, Sasha, was pretty extreme. Uh, it was. Uh, it was absolute outrage, uh, given that the penalty was very iffy and it, everyone was amazed that it wasn't overturned by VAR. But what, what was truly extraordinary, actually, was what happened the day after, because Match TV uh, got the referee, uh, Vasily Kazartsev, and the VAR, Alexei Yeskov, on to explain what, what they were doing. And with that as well, you have a passage of about, I think, a minute and 13 seconds of the discussion. Uh, between the referee, VAR, and the thinking process. And the amazing thing is, I mean, you could hear the confusion and, you know, the referee tells, you know, player to step back and at some point the linesman chimes in. It was about, you know, I think he's asking about how much time will be added on. But fundamentally, the VAR, he sees the first, like the first cut of, of what happens and he utters, oh, I can't not disallow this. And I think then he sees a few other angles and goes, oh... Maybe there is a bit of doubt there. So then he, you know, he, he's kind of talking through this process, talking with his operator, and in the end, he tells the referee that the goal stands. And then he goes on Match TV to explain what's going on. He isn't very eloquent, but from what I understood, like what he meant is that it wasn't clear cut. So okay. therefore, we're going with the on-pitch on decision. Right. Which is all kind of so far so within the realms of football and controversy. But Spartak's owner then takes it a step further by announcing that he is withdrawing Spartak Moscow from the Russian League. Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's reaction straight away was, oh yeah, sort of feet of peak and, you know, it's empty words. And of course he went back on them the following day, you know, allowed himself to be persuaded to stay in the league. But again, it's not a good look. You know, it's just, again, people talking without thinking, which is, um, which I think is Leonid Fidun, the Spartak owner. That's been his problem, I think, for quite a number of years. And I think that sort of adds um, to the general impression of him not perhaps being in control. Um, of the situation. Although, you know, in this situation, you, you can see why he would be upset. I mean, uh, Spartak have had a series of calls go against them towards the back end of last season as well. But the general reaction now, I think it's, it's kind of building up. There was another incident tonight. I mean, we're talking on Tuesday. Rubin Kazan, Leonis Slutsky's Rubin Kazan, played at home against Lokomotiv. They were 1-0 down. Their striker goes through on goal and gets cleaned out by Guilherme. It's an absolutely obvious, like, yeah, to me, it's, it's a pretty, like, to everybody, it's a pretty obvious penalty. Lokomotiv go down the other end and score. Uh, Slutsky absolutely loses it, gets sent off at half time. And after the game, he gives this really sort of um, uh, kind of emotional interview, and, which, and the way he sums it up is he, he goes, he says about the referees, they think we're idiots, they don't explain the rules, they behave as they please. Because he says that you know the workings of the VAR were never explained to them before the start of the season so right. everyone was massively confused and everybody hates the referees Sasha all the world's a village as the Italians say it's a small world uh, this is the same stuff that's happening everywhere. I think yeah, what I was curious about was the fact that uh, Spartak's owner was saying yeah we're, we're not going to play in the Russian league anymore I'm not sure did he was there somewhere else he was going to go and play well, and uh, is, it, <laughs> is it also true that the two match officials involved were then given polygraph tests yeah, yeah, maybe by then that's sort of beginning to lose interest. But uh, yeah, but basically, yeah. So it's 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 a whole lot of confusion with VAR and right. everyone's up in arms, and it's more about VAR rather than any football. Well, after all of that, the Champions League uh, sounds pretty mundane. But you know what? It is getting underway Wednesday evening, the quarterfinals, uh, and they kick off with an outstanding matchup: Atalanta PSG. Jules and James are standing by to break that one down for us after we hear from Lee Price of Paddy Power. 
Thanks, Jimbo. Hello again, listeners. This should be a juicy night, shouldn't it? PSG, our third favourites to win the Champions League, have a seemingly clear route to the final with just a team who have never been in the tournament before ahead of them. What could possibly go wrong for the Parisians? Yeah, exactly. And we make the match quite tight pricing. Uh, PSG are favourites, but they're not odds-on, interesting. They're 11-10 to 10 to win this game. Atalanta are priced at 11-5. to 5. The draw is 11-4. to 4. We smell goals. Both teams of score is priced at 4-9. to nine, And there's odds-on there's at least three goals in this match. It's also just 5-4. to four. There's four more goals inside the 90 minutes. Atalanta like a goal or two. And that could spell trouble for PSG. They're currently priced, the French champions, at 5-1 to one to win this tournament. Atalanta at 12 to 1. Could they be dark horses? Could PSG do what PSG usually do? Let's see. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Atalanta, Paris Saint-Germain. It's a sort of colossal mismatch the great sport is made of. PSG, the sovereign wealth fund, who dropped just two points in the group stage of the Champions League, who beat Dortmund in the last 16 and who have conceded just four goals in eight Champions League matches. Atalanta, who lost all their first three in the group stage, who have conceded 16 goals, but who have scored against every single keeper they faced in this competition, with the exception of Kyle Walker. Atalanta PSG is a match of contrast. On the one hand, and on the other, but which team is better? Let's put them head to head with Jules et Jim. All right then, guys. Atlanta and PSG. Let's start with history. Who's got better history? When was Atlanta founded, James? 1907, James. It's 63 years older than Paris Saint-Germain. A lot of wow. history. Yeah. La Dea, founded by a Greek professor and named after the uh, Atlanta, the goddess of hunting. All right. What, Paris Saint-Germain, what, who are they named after, Jules? After the, the best city in the world, I guess. Well, All right. cities at least emerged 50 years ago. So, yeah, we're only 50 years old. But there was history right. before that as well, a bit. Okay, population. Which one wins out here? Paris, what have you got, Jules? Uh, 12 million, if you count the, uh, the banlieue and the suburbs. Right. And what about all the players around the world? That would bring in another million, <laughs> no? <laughs> yes, you're right. All the Paris born and bred, you mean. I mean, every okay. club, pretty much all the top clubs have one uh, in, right. their, in their squad. Okay, I think I think Paris might shade this one, James. What's Atlanta? What's Bergamo's population? It's a hundred and twenty thousand, James. That's mm. all. Right, plucky underdogs. Okay then, uh, budget and there's a similar mismatch there, isn't there, James? Yeah, I mean, if you look at uh, Atlanta's wage bill, it's what thirty-six million euro uh, after tax, which is it's pretty phenomenal because they've kind of almost. Well, they did make that back just through the group stages alone and getting through it. So, yeah, for Atlanta to be there and to get back to be in this competition next year as well, uh, it's like that scene in DuckTales at the intro where you you just got the duck diving into the the sea of money. There you go. Right, Paparoni. Uh, 36 million, that 
That's what Pierre she spent on croissant. <laughs> <laughs> and pan de chocolat as well, you know. The pan oh, de chocolat yeah. is very expensive. It That's is true. It's All right. What, it's what Neymar earns pretty much in a year. He's on 32 million net a year, so the Atalanta wage bill, the whole team's wages are equivalent to what Neymar on his own makes in one year in Paris with budget is um, over 500 million euros a year. But, but what's interesting in Paris is the Qatari took over in 2011. The, the growth in terms of revenues, I mean, some might be dodgy, I know, because they come from the same ownership. But all, you know, overall, what they've done uh, in terms of marketing to the club and you know shirt sales and other sponsors with with companies that are not linked to Qatar or the Qatari royal family, it's still very impressive how they've they've run the club in that way. All right then, Jules. What about record signing? Who's PSG's record signing? And how much? Neymar, yeah, two hundred and twenty-two million euros, which was right. released close. <laughs> I think they were happy to pay it, but this is not a price that. You know, you, 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 you can tell me some clubs and PSG included sometimes pay over the over the over the odds, over the top. That was a release clause. They had to pay if they wanted him, so they did. But yeah, it's a lot. Okay, what, what's Atalanta's record signing, James? Well, before PSG were even born, uh, they did have a player, Giuseppe Savoldi, who uh, of course uh, was subject to a world record transfer from uh, Bologna to, to Napoli back in the day, Mr. Due Miliardi, as he was, as he was called. Um, but their record signing, uh, James, is a recent one. It's Duvan Zapata, who they paid 26 million euro for. If you want to go prior to Gasparini coming in and basically getting them into Europe, so we're talking the last four years, their, their biggest sign was 10.5 million euros. Luca Cigarini, the kind of, you know, one of those many poor man's Pirlo kind of players nice which club has the best celebrity fans <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's got to be Atalanta because it's Messi uh, it's, Messi's an Atlanta that, fan it's, no no I haven't it's Luca Messi who's a who's a boxer from Bedcaro <laughs> 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 so that's and that's it that's it um, the, the guy who writes their their anthems um, Facchinetti he, he plays in a band called Pooh, as in Pooh Bear, not as in um, uh, Fecal Matter. But that, that band is, is actually from Bologna. But, um, um, yeah, is it Facchinetti? He, he, he's written all their kind of anthems. So I suppose he is, but they write okay. some quite... This Jules, Jules, give him some stuff. proper celebrity fans. God, come on. I mean, I don't know where, where to start, really. Vienna is a proper PSG fan. Seen her at Juventus games. Because it's Paris, and I think, again, the Qatari recognised that there was, you know, a lot of glamour to bring as well, and trying to to get that sort of image. So we've had over the years many uh, top celebrities. I mean, Michael Jordan, of course. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah Jules, Jules, no, 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 like a proper PSG Michael fan. Jordan, Michael uh, Jordan, comes to the Parc des Princes, follows the club's results, uh, and I can give you plenty more. You know, because he's got business me interest. Me and my dad included. <laughs> All right, there I'm you go. All right, what about bigger scandal? Bigger scandal in club's history, James? Well, you've got uh, Cristiano Doni, the, the captain of, of Atalanta, the hero who was practically given the keys to Bergamo and yet uh, was involved in a, in a match-fixing scandal. Um, mm. I think we all... Arrested well, by the Carabinieri on Christmas morning, hiding behind his car in his garage. Exactly. And now he won. Mm. He's uh, he just lives in a bar by Mallorca. That's that's where you can that's where you can find him, Cristiano. 
feels like he was sold out and that he was made the scapegoat of a bigger scandal. He took the fall for the club that he loves. Jules, what PSG got in terms of scandals? There was that time that Ibrahimovic parked his car in front of the or in front of the club car parking because they'd fired his chef and it was a protest and no one could get their cars cars out. That's no. pretty much it, isn't it? No, that's not the story. He oh. he got the the chef sacked at the training ground because the food was not to his liking. But he, he also, also parked his... Yeah, yeah, he also blocked because someone had parked on his space and he said, if someone parks on my space, no one leaves the, the car park. So he, he blocked the gate. No, OK. Well, let, let's move on to uh, Wednesday night's game. Then which team has better motivation? Yeah, it's got to be Atalanta, no? Because they've got a city Why? behind them and they haven't just got a city behind them. Well, Jules, I mean, Bergamo is one of the worst affected areas, not only in Italy, but in, in Europe and the world from COVID-19. Uh, they estimate that around, uh, not just in the city, but around the area, 6,000 people died. Um, and that's why when you heard that song earlier, Rina Shiro, you know, sort of, uh, we will rise again, we will be reborn. Um, I think uh, there is an extra kind of spinta in più, as they would say, sort of, uh, sort of thing, just pushing them on. And also, a country is behind them. They are the last Italian side in the competition. And as Gasparini said today, tutta l'Italia tifa per noi. Siamo come una nazionale. We are like the national team. And I think, uh, I think that's true. They cannot lose. Do you think they've already won? Do you think they've already won? <laughs> I, think, All right, I think so. I think so. What's, dri- <laughs> what's driving PSG? The end of the curse, James. There's been a curse. Uh, when Champions League big games come, <laughs> come our way, either you've got big players injured or suspended, you've got the remontadas when the, the team seems to be choking and, and very fragile psychologically, I think, as we remember against United and Barcelona. So there's a real feeling that you know, they, they just never turn up or just things go against PSG when those big games come. And even the, at the beginning of the week or at the end of last week, sorry, Thomas Tuchel said, I don't, I don't know why, but it's always negative when those big Champions League games come. So, yeah, I think that... It, I think going through, even if it's just Atalanta, and they're a very good team, but it's not the pedigree of other top top clubs in Europe. But just going through mentally, psychologically, to a semi final again for the first time in 25 years, I think will be huge for the club. Okay. Biggest threat and biggest weakness of these two teams? Jules, first of all, Paris Saint Germain? Uh, Neymar, of course, especially with Mbappe being on the bench at the start, unless there's a big surprise and he starts tomorrow, but I, don't, I think it's unlikely. So Neymar, which, again, he came to the club, he wanted that kind of pressure, he wanted to be the big star and to deliver, and, you know, big games belong to big players and all that BS. So we will see, we will see if he does deliver tomorrow. And the biggest weakness, I guess, is, um, is in midfield in the sense of, I don't know how they can cope with the, the high press and how they can cope with getting the ball back once they lose it. And I think that's where the game is going to be won and lost anyway. If Tuchel finds the right formula and they're right up there in midfield and can counter the rune and, and Swirler and whoever plays in midfield for Atalanta, then I think they'll have a big chance. I think biggest strength, it's like the, the final scene of The Sopranos where Tony knows it's coming, but he doesn't know when it's coming. It's going to come. Um, and you don't know who it is. You don't know whether it's Papu. You don't know whether it's Duvan Zapata. You don't know whether it's Robin Gosens. They'll score on you. And that's, that's, that's Atalanta's big strength. And then as, as to the weakness, I suppose it's they don't have any other way of playing. You know, when it comes to managing games, 
yeah, this team just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. You know, its biggest strength is its weakness in some respects in that, you know, we, we all look at whether Atalanta, the quote-unquote best team in Italy um, this season, why haven't they maybe made a better fist of challenging events for the title? It's because they've leaked too many goals. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why this qualifier is so exciting um, because you've got, you know, the possibility of Neymar, Icardi, you know, Mbappe's in the squad, um, but I doubt he'll play um, against yeah, the, you know, a team that doesn't have the names that PSG, but kind of makes you smile and makes you look forward to watching them in the same way you, you should do when you watch PSG. And that's, that's, what, that's what Atalanta are all about. All right. They're the fun that maybe got lost along the way for their, uh, you know, rivals from the metropolis. Hey, um, Jules, just on a general note, uh, the way that Atlanta play, the only way they play, do PSG ever face anybody like that in Liga? Is that going to be a bit of a shock to them? No, well, I think they've prepared themselves. They, they know, I mean, we, everybody knows how Atlanta play anyway. There's no secret there. And I don't think Gasparini mm. will change anything. But what was interesting... But the level of aggression that they, that they have with and without the ball... Uh, Atlanta. That's not something that PSG come up against often. No, but what I was going to say is that what was interesting is in the two cup finals they played in the last two weeks, PSG struggled really to beat that press. And if you can't beat Saint-Étienne's press, you're never going to beat Atalanta's press because they are the best with Liverpool. They're the best pressing team in Europe right now. So it's not that they, they run more than you, it's they, they run better than you. And I think if you can't, be, if you're not able to play from the back at like PSG, you always do and beat their press, then I think you'll be in big trouble. So I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow there's a goal scored by Zapata or Malinowski or Papu Gomez from a ball that they get back in PSG's box or 30, 20 yards, 25 yards or something like that because I think PSG will struggle a bit with the press. However, if they do beat the press, even just once, there's a big chance as well that they will create something out of it. So it would just be a case of who pressed the best, who beats the press the best, and, and I think that's quite exciting. Also, James, on a point of European heritage, um, given that we, we were talking about that with uh, Sevilla Manchester United, uh, Atlanta uh, reached the European semi-final before Paris Saint-Germain did, um, yeah, in, terms of, in terms of their history, which was, in, of course, in 1987-1988, when they got to the semi-finals of the Cup Winners' Cup, whilst being in the second division. Um, so, I mean, if they can do that in the second, whilst they're in the second division, I mean, as a top flight side that's finished third in Serie A, I mean, there's, there's, there's clearly no stopping them. Wow. Well, we'll see. It's coming up uh, eight o'clock UK time. James, like as an all time PSG front line against an all time Atalanta front line, who would you take? Okay. Would you take Zlatan, Neymar and Mbappe or would you, would you take Super Pippo Inzaghi, Bobo Vieri and one of... Claudio Canicio or Gigi Lentini. Okay, but Pippo Inzaghi, who is not at his best. Bobo Vieri, who is not at his best. Pippo Inzaghi, right. 24 goals that season. Yeah, it was with but in the Vincenzo second division? Montella. No, top flight, top flight. Well, oh, listen, okay. they could be but here doing this for James some time yet, anyway, but let's you and I leave them to it. <laughs> we'll wrap up this Totally Football Show Summer Special there, but if you do want to hear more of James and Jules discussing Atlanta PSG and so much more, make sure you tune in at 11 o'clock or anytime you like on YouTube to uh, BT Sports Club 2020 Daily because they're both uh, joining me on that show on Wednesday morning. Woof. All right, then. Many thanks, boys, for being with us today. Many thanks as well to Sasha Gurionov for that extraordinary roundup. And you, listener, and also producer Ben, who's back today. Hurrah. We'll be back uh, same time Thursday morning. 
with all our reaction to Wednesday night's events, do make sure you join us then. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.